And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Soccer Devils. This is the dedicated Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up this week, we are going to look back on the defeat suffered by second-string Manchester United side at Old Trafford on Tuesday. We're also going to discuss the injury suffered by Harry Maguire on Sunday, have our say on Edison Cavani's brand-new contract, and how it might affect Manchester United's transfer plans in the summer. As ever, to help me make sense of things Manchester United past, present, and future, I'm joined by my fellow Manchester United beat reporter, Laurie Whittle. Laurie, how are you doing? Well, I'm good, yeah. Excited. We're midway through, aren't we? Three games <laughs> in five days, feeling, feeling refreshed, feeling pumped. That's great. You, I did Sunday, you did Tuesday, and I think you're going to be doing Thursday as well. Teamwork. Teamwork. Makes the dream work. Also with us, it's the editor of Unite We Stand. They have a brand new issue out commemorating the 2-1 victory over Barcelona in the European Cup Winners' Cup final. Uh, if I sounded a bit shaky there, that's because I'm not going to reveal my age when that game occurred. He is the contributing writer to The Athletic, and he's my friend. It's Mr. Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you? Hi, Carl. I'm trying to book a train in Poland to Gdansk. And honestly, I think it would be easier to learn Polish <laughs> from scratch in a Geordie accent while stood on the, the runway at Warsaw Airport. It is incredibly frustrating. Aside from that, I'm okay and looking forward to this. Are those one of those overnight trains where you sleep on board? <laughs> no, the trains in Poland are very good from what I can gather. And it's a three-hour high-speed Pendolino train from the capital up to Gdansk. And yeah, I've not been to Poland since 98 when United played there against Lodz on the way to winning the treble. And from what I can gather, the country has changed an awful lot since then. The, the roads were full of potholes and, and there wasn't even a motorway between some of the main cities. But I think Poland has developed an awful lot and I'm looking forward to going back there. We'll get into some chat about Poland and indeed the Europa League final and players who may or may not be there. But first things first, let's talk about Manchester United's 2-1 defeat to Leicester on Tuesday. Laurie, you were there. That was a strange starting eleven, wasn't it? Yeah, it, we, we kind of got word of, of it being a lot of changes um, a couple of hours before kickoff. Uh, and I think that was really going to be the case as soon as United beat Villa on Sunday. Solskjaer had that win that he needed to confirm Champions League qualification. So from that point of view, job done from, from, you know, from his brief this season. Yeah, United want to be winning titles and challenging Man City. But, you know, the truth of the matter was that that was a race that was already run. The Champions League qualification was the primary motivation. And then with Liverpool 48 hours after the Leicester game, the Leicester game was going to be the one that needed the changes. You know, you can't have players play all three games, particularly when you've got a Europa League final. It's only a fortnight away, you know, this Europa League final. It's not like they've got a month of a break, you know, where they can rest and recuperate. It's, it's right on top of them, plus two more Premier League games to finish the season after the Liverpool one. So the Leicester one was always going to see changes. It was a bit of a surprise seeing Anthony Alanga start the game. Perhaps a little indication of that when the under-23s played against Derby, their final game of the season. 
had one Mesby played, Shola Shola Tire played, but Anthony Langer did not play. So I think that was a, an indication clearly that United uh, were having him in the starting lineup. We'll get into it a little bit, but my piece sort of talks about the, the, the right of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to make those changes because he's got, you know, he's done his job this season. And as I said before, he, you know, he can't, you know, continue to play players throughout this, um, you know, crazy sequence, which, okay, was brought about by. United fans protesting against Liverpool in the first place. So people might criticise as they have done. You know, there's, there's certain uh, people that have been out in the media over the past 24 hours that have uh, very heavily criticised United Solskjaer for the selection and, and saying that it is United's fault. But, you know, as he's the Manchester United manager, all he can control is the players that he picks and, and the morale around Carrington. So he's absolutely within his rights to make those changes. And, you know, we'll see the, the benefits of that, you know, you'd imagine against Liverpool and then further afield with the Europa League. But yeah, we'll get into the match a little bit, won't we? But I, I, I totally understood where he was coming from on that point. I spoke to Solskjaer on Sunday after Aston Villa and asked him how he was going to do his training throughout the week, to which he responded, there was basically no training on grass. It was going to be all classroom sessions, which I'm going to find quite interesting. Defeat against Leicester meant Manchester City are now Premier League champions, but a number of Manchester United fans were almost smiling at the fact that they were going to be full strength against Liverpool, and that meant Liverpool have a limited chance of making the Champions League next season. Andy, I want to get your thoughts on this. How did you make that defeat? I know that the club were annoyed that the team was leaked online a few hours before the game, and it was obviously a very different scene, but they feel that it advantages the the opponents when they know what Manchester United's plans are. It's not the first time that this has happened. I, I was disappointed because I'm disappointed when Manchester United lose football matches. It was the first defeat in 15 games. I keep comparing this season with last season. In my mind, I think if United can get 10 more points than last season, this will be a significant improvement. And when you lose a game, it makes that more difficult. What you said about Liverpool fans, the, the, the tribalism is is coming into it there. I can see their, their perspective. Oli, I spoke to him in Rome and when I'd finished my one-man press conference with him, which he said was the most surreal one he'd ever done, which it was. It was just me in a room, me and him. But I had to keep like 20 metres from him. So it was just bizarre. Um, I spoke to him and it was very clear that he was very, very angry about the intensity of the matches and not seen him that angry since do you remember Everton away after Istanbul yes and, and he, he mentioned that a few times and then he people sort of ignored it and then and it became headline because he mentioned it again after the team had, uh, had won and then you mentioned Manchester City winning the league I think we've known that's going to happen since early February when United dropped a few points after going top City the best team probably got the best manager I laughed at some of the reactions from United fans when like a hundred people turned up outside City's ground <laughs> and they were just looking for reasons to take the Mickey and, and they, they found they found plenty. So it's, it's a tough week for United, as you've touched on. The, the, the training is almost minimum. It's not just the players, you've got the support staff, you've got the analysts who all their work was shredded, they have to start again. Um the, the, there's there's people who basically aren't seeing the families who are working in, in that environment. And I'd be really disappointed if United didn't finish second. I just would. You know, if they slipped to third or fourth, I, I, I don't think that would be a fair reflection on, on the season. And I know that the team have faded really badly in the end of the Van Hall's final season, in the end of Jose Mourinho's season. 
and I'm talking about some of the worst games I've ever seen Manchester United play. That game at West Ham, nil-nil, when Mourinho and Moyes both said it was an entertaining game. I just thought, I'm sorry, you're lying, both of you. You're completely lying. So it's really important that this season doesn't fade out in that same way. We know the squad's been stretched. We know there's been a high number of matches. I think Ollie's point about his players doing really well to, to keep going up to this point and to be going to Villa and winning is a good one. But they've really got to be informed going into that Europa League final because, as Laurie says, it, it's straight on to us against a, a highly motivated Villarreal team with an even more highly motivated manager. It's Liverpool, Fulham, Wolves and then Villarreal. Uh, and it seems as if... Manchester United might be without Harry Maguire for the majority of those games. Laurie, what's the latest on that injury? Yeah, so before the game, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer spoke to BT Sport and confirmed that it was ligament damage. He was at least more positive that it wasn't a broken foot, you know, a break in the uh, the ankle. But Maguire was there in a protective boot in the stands, cheering on a lot. <laughs> you know, we've heard him, haven't we, at the back in games, urging on Luke Shaw, urging on various other players. It's not usually the most refined of commands, but listen, it, you know, he can see the picture in front of him. He's just... I enjoy that positivity. So, you know, late on in the game, he was telling Brandon Williams to get in the box. He was telling Alex Talese to put a cross in. He was, early on in the game, he was telling Anthony Alanga to take on Timothy Castagna. So, you know, you, you can see how invested he is, even though he's, he's injured and he will be absolutely pained that he's not on that pitch. Solskjaer said he would have picked him had he been fit, he would have continued his run of playing every single minute of every single Premier League game since signing for United, um, had he done so. You know, he played with painkilling injections over a period, not every day, but, you know, for a period of about two months last season when he had a hip problem because he wanted to keep playing. And I think that probably is a, a side of his game that is underappreciated, that you can always rely on him to turn up. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, so in that sense, it's a, it's a serious injury that is, that is now keeping him out. After the game, Solskjaer was asked about it and he said that he did not think he would play again in the Premier League this season. Okay, that's only three games, but he was hopeful about the Europa League final. But he is a doubt, clearly, you know, and, and that obviously then feeds into the Euros. Listen, Solskjaer wasn't too fussed about that. Norway aren't there. So, you know, his, his personal investment isn't as such. But clearly from an England perspective, that is a concern that Harry Maguire might be uh, missing for the tournament. And you've got this classic case of, a you know, a kind of key player in a race against time to, to make a major tournament. We've been here before with England. But from a United perspective, having him fit for that Europa League final, I think will be really, really important. You know, that's not to do a disservice to Victor Lindelof or Eric Bailly or Axel Twanzebe, who I thought had a, a good game against Leicester. He was probably caught out for that first goal, but overall he did really well. There was, there was a moment in the second half where uh, he dispossessed Ian Acho in the in the box and then uh, drove past all Brighton, you know, that, that kind of stuff makes you think, okay, could he, you know, rival Bailly for a starting place if Maguire is injured? But yeah, I think that's a, a bit of a concern for, for Solskjaer that you've, you know, you've got this end of the season, as Andy says, they want the, to want the season, the season to finish strongly. I mean, I, I look at it and go, they're on 70 points now. I agree with Andy that to get 10 more points than last season, so 76 or so two more wins out of three games, you don't want to be losing to Liverpool, but you know you, you think that's possible out of those last three games. So that would be a good, solid season. Ten points more, better off, and, and second place. I, I do totally take Andy's point that losing is never enjoyable. You know, at home to Leicester, the fact that United had only lost four games prior to that game, so they were the, they had the best record in that regard. You know, Man City had lost five, um, so now they've lost five. I always sort of had in my mind five games was always about the the amount you'd lose as a title winner. You know, it was usually. A 
around that. You know, the treble winners, you know, lost three, but plenty of times United lost five games and won the title. It was just the draws this season that weren't, you know, good enough. If they'd, you know, set five of those draws, turn them into wins, they've got the same, you know, points total as City. Losing is never great, but I did look back and, you know, there was times previous when sort of the job had been done in seasons and they'd lost at home, you know, Derby in 2001 and West Ham in 2007. Ferguson changed his team because he had an FA Cup final to to play that season and and you know they lost the game and you know there were probably similar you know criticisms of of integrity at that point but I think each manager has their own job to look after it's not you know their responsibility you know what other clubs can do in those situations I think as long as you know their prerogative is their own team that that's all that matters so if they then go and beat Liverpool and beat Fulham and beat Wolves and win the Europa League this match will be a, a very small footnote the Leicester game you know and, and the fact that he's actually been able to give a few players a rest will have contributed to United hopefully finishing the season well so yeah I mean listen obviously then the end's would justify the means there. If it, if it goes the other way, you, maybe you can look at it slightly differently. But I thought that the selection that he picked, yeah, Maguire being out affected it. But the two statements he was making, Andy's absolutely spot on with the broadcasters. Listen, it might be a kind of imagined slight because where else were they going to fit the game if West Brom didn't want to move their game from the weekend with Liverpool? I know people are talking about the May 16th weekend, but you know, if, if they're saying no to that, then they've got to kind of figure it out some other way um, so maybe it was the only opportunity to do you know three games in five days um, but certainly he's he's entitled to create a bit of a siege mentality to kind of go full throttle against the broadcasters and 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 have this kind of idea that people are to get united I think that's not a bad thing to, to kind of instill morale end of the season and also I think it was a, a message to the board a little bit not in a kind of aggressive way at all you know that's not his style but he said after the game that maybe we need a couple more to take that next step and I know managers will always want more players but th- there's a really specific point in here in that Man City made nine changes against Chelsea which by the way I wonder if you know Liverpool you know, could well have grievance over Chelsea winning that game they're in the Champions League contention City made nine changes for that game the cost of that team, £499 million. And the number of Premier League starts for all those players before that game, 207 this season. I mean, United's lineup, yeah, £210 million is still a, an awful lot, but it's less than half what City's lineup was. And uh, 70 odd starts between them in all competitions, 72 it was exactly. The starting 11 before that's it. So you can see the disparity between the two sides when they've made changes. Now people might say, well, Pep, rotates his team better than Ollie. But I think the broader point is that, well, actually, when Ollie makes changes, the drop-off is there. You can see it. It's significant. Donny van der Beek signed for £40 million in the summer. He, he started against Leicester. It was another occasion. I, I thought that he's, he's done well in cameos that he's had recently, come on and, and made a difference. It was another game that passed him by. You know, really, if, if you're signing for £40 million, you want a player that can come in against Leicester and continue the kind of form that... You know, Man- Manchester United are used to you know with the, with the regular starters, so that's an issue. You know, they need to make signings this summer that actually come in and have a genuine impact on games like that where they've made changes. And also, a sort of minor point, but you know, Matic and Mata, they were seventy-seven million pounds worth of that two hundred and ten million pounds lineup. They are 33 and 32. They were bought 2014, 2017. So it's not the same as when you look at City's lineup and all those players that they've got are all very much genuine first teamers rotating in and out you know the drop-offs not so much I mean Sergio Aguero you could probably say listen you know he was bought for a 
20 odd million and he's, he is on the wane, but he's like one of the best strikers the Premier League has ever seen. So I wouldn't necessarily categorise him as as the same category as um, as Matic and Mata. So I've kind of gone off on one there, haven't I, Carl? You know, you, your question was about Maguire and I've, I've managed to feed in various different elements of my piece that's on The Athletic, which I'm going to plug and tell people to go and read because it's, it's there online. So if you want to get a bit more deep. Uh, I like the fact that you've confirmed will possibly confirm Maguire's status, which now means you've commissioned me to write a piece to try and predict an England lineup without Harry Maguire. So I'll get working on that for the Athletic. Uh, there was, there's a lot to take in in a game that essentially you need to wait for another week before we can truly make sense of that result against Leicester City. I think a lot of the conversation now is if you beat Liverpool and if you beat Fulham, no harm done. You blooded a few of the youngsters. That's fine. But if you don't quite get the result you want against Liverpool, and perhaps if you don't get the result you want against Fulham, then the mood slightly changes. And I want to see your opinion here. From what you saw on Tuesday, looking at that 11, looking at those fringe players who got brought in, what did you see and what do you feel about United going forward through the summer? United need to strengthen and build on the progress of this season and bring into Bruno class players rather than Donny van der Beek class players. Now, I've said consistently on this podcast that when van der Beek signed, I did what we do and spoke to people and I was led to believe, I was pretty underwhelmed with the feedback I was getting in terms of people saying Donny van der Beek is a a squad player. And I'm thinking, what, £40 million squad player? That's odd. Now, he's benefited from being a new player in that fans want to see more of him, but he's not had a good season. In mitigation, he's not played a lot of games, but when he has, Laurie used the term game passing him by. That wasn't the first time that happened. Watford at home in the FA Cup, the game passed him by. Watford are not Bayern Munich. You know, they're not one of the top teams in the world. So if he's going to have a United future, he's really got to up his, his game, as Fred did after his poor first season. And another thing I've said about Donny was a, was a big jump from uh, from Holland into the Premier League. The, the example I gave was Stephen Pienaar saying that he felt by going to Germany first that had helped him a lot. Uh, and the point that Laurie makes about the drop-off, I think he's absolutely valid. He's actually quite a small top quality squad that United have got and there is an over-reliance on some players. And I know we've spoke about the injury to Maguire, but United have been quite fortuitous with injuries this season, certainly compared to rivals. So what if there had been a lot of injuries? What if there'd been, you know, if, if Maguire had gone out for, for three months or United had lost uh, Bruno? And I'm pretty optimistic. I know for a fact that the players are in, in, in a good place. There's a, there's a good mood among the players. I was told that before the game in Rome. And I think you know, we can go for all of them, but just, just quickly, I think Greenwood's doing really well, playing well. And now scoring, which he wasn't doing. Cavani has been the standout in the last couple of months. I'm delighted that he signed the the contract. Um, Marcus has gone off the boil a little bit, but I still think there's a a top player there. Anthony Martial, we've all forgotten about him. He had a brilliant game against Manchester City in the Manchester derby and did something that Cavani couldn't do. That press in that game came from the front. I think United need to strengthen... The, you, you've touched on Axel and the central defenders. It's a good point. Can any of them stand up consistently? I'm not convinced that uh, Eric Bailly can. Uh, I still think there's a mistake in him. We've definitely got, got attributes, but if you're going to be winning league titles, you need to have defenders of Van Dijk's class. 
and Manchester United simply don't have that. Luke Shaw's had a great season. The goalkeeping's um, positions will work, work themselves out. I think Aaron Wan-Bazaka's had a decent season. I'd say central defender. Axel, I'd love it to be Axel. And he was brilliant in Paris. And we keep saying he was brilliant in Paris, but I don't think he's played his, enough games this season. And he's not always convinced when he, when he has played. The younger lads who came on, really encouraging. It's almost impossible to judge Ahmad or Anthony Alanga after one game. That was just about them. Wow, you're, you're playing in a huge match against a really good Leicester team. We should credit Leicester. They're a very, very good team. They're not united out the FA Cup. They've reversed their poor record against United. That first goal was outstanding mm-hmm. in front of the Stratford end. So I, I'm pretty positive, but I think that you know, need to win the, the Europa League, continue their good run against Spanish teams. And that wasn't always the case under Ferguson. And then bring in a couple of top players this, this summer. And they're going to cost money. And we're not going to have a Sancho section again, but that that calibre of players that excites fans more than, than Van de Beek did. And Cavani's come good. And that's really encouraging. And I think he's absolutely got a future, but at least one top player, whether that's, a midfielder, a forward, or or a central defender. But overall, if you'd have said to me at the start of this season, would you take second in the Europa League final? I would emphatically have said yes. I really would have done. So I think Oli is doing a, a good job and he does need to be supported and to, to strengthen in the summer. And I think he will be. United are aware of that. They know that last year was a nightmare in terms of the, the way it dragged on and... The sort of media just got in all the holes, and you had both sides briefing against each other. You had you had Dortmund and their journalists saying one thing. You had United journalists. You had agents throwing their bit into the mix, and it didn't really help anybody. And I know every fan of every club says, "Get your business done early." It's very easy to say that, but if United can be more convincing this summer and get some business done early and follow on from the goodwill generated by Cavani signing then I'm pretty optimistic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Rashford's ball in Cavani! Another goal-scoring masterclass from the Matador. Let's discuss a brand new contract for Edison Cavani. I hate to say I told you so, but... I told you so. Laurie, tell me, how did this deal come about? Clearly, he told United that he wanted to leave. So it was about United persuading him, you know, taking the time, having the human touch. I think Solskjaer was important in that. You know, he understands what it is to be a a player. And I think he could appeal to the fact that Cavani, you know, he did want to go back to Uruguay with his family. You know, he spoke about that in his MUTV interview. And it was a case of United just trying to present a different reality, you know, an, an alternative where... Manchester, where England is back to normality, where he can mix outside, where he can enjoy the excellent establishments of Manchester City Centre, you know, restaurants that hopefully cater to his tastes and a full Old Trafford. I mean, you could hear in the rhetoric from Solskjaer how it shifted. I remember asking him about 
Cavani after Granada and he was very reticent to get into that discussion initially and then basically said, listen, he's not made his mind up and I totally understand it. A kind of hands-off approach. After the Roma game where he starred so impressively, you could sense a, a change from him and you could sense he was a bit more hopeful and, you know, that within 24 hours, Cavani had basically said, yeah, I'll stay actually. And then, you know, the final bits of the paperwork were done and he signed his extension. And I think it is a positive. I think that United fans have really taken him to their hearts, you know, and and I found it quite ironic, I suppose, you know, one of the issues that he had this season was the FA ban for his choice of words on Instagram, but social media was the reason, therefore, that he was able to understand the fan appreciation. You know, he was back on there and he could see the love that was coming his way. So there's two sides to social media, obviously, as we know. I think it's worked to the effect of keeping Cavani at Old Trafford because, you know, he, he's not able to hear the chants in the stands, although he was able to hear the chant from the kit man each morning, which I enjoyed <laughs> hearing about. I didn't know that. And he, he sort of revealed that that the the gimme 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 song was um was sung you know to kind of just a little bit tease him into thinking that he could stay so i think you know united have been sensible about this listen there's obviously you know clear side effects to to this signing you look at erling harland is that one going to be pursued i'm not so sure um i think we'll do something on that in due course on the athletic um but uh, you know, clearly they've got a guy here who who has proven that he can score goals, and I think the point being that he will have he'll have a preseason for next season. You know, he he was away for you know he didn't play for PSG before coming to United. It was seven months, I think, gap quarantine, and there was a, an athletic survey that was done at the start of the season uh, with agents. You know, so a few of us asked a few agents what they thought of the window, who was the best signing, who was the worst signing. Cavani came out on top in terms of the worst signing. Um, by quite a distance, and and this was getting um, posted on my on my thread. I think I guess it was posted on yours as well, Carl. Um, sort of listen, every, you know, hindsight is wonderful, but I think where the agents were coming from in that regard was that it was done last minute, deadline day, and this is a guy that was available for two months before that. So if you wanted him, sign him earlier, get him in the building. United lost to Crystal Palace on the opening day. They lost to Tottenham Hotspur before Cavani was signed. They lost to Arsenal when he was only fit enough to play the last 15 minutes. So these are three defeats in the Premier League that happened. You know, listen, I'm not saying that Cavani would have changed those results at all, but, you know, you think United would have had a better chance to get something from them if he was in the building earlier. So I think from that point of view, the agents that (laughs) contributed to the survey had a valid reason for saying that it was a bad deal, you know, in terms of business sense. But listen, it's, it's worked out brilliantly since that point. And I think it's a positive that he's going to be at United for another season because you look at the way he, he gets around the pitch, you know, his movement, obviously we've, we've talked about, you, you spotted it instantly, Carl, you, you did that piece, you know, I think from after his debut where, you know, the Southampton game was it where, you know, clearly he was, he was making these kind of runs. The Aston Villa one, I thought was probably his best run to date for United, you know, the way that he peeled from the outside to in, you know, the, the timing of it, he basically never really, he sort of slightly paused his run to stay on side and then, you know, but he was pretty much at full pelt before that and managed to glance the header in. Great cross from Rashford. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a positive, but we'll, and we'll get on to it. I don't know what you've heard, Andy, in terms of what United might then look to do. Centre forward has been the principal position that Solskjaer has wanted. I think that's with a mind of Cavani possibly leaving Clearly, they need a long-term solution in that situation. Erling Haaland, Harry Kane are on that list. But whether they think that this summer is the right moment to commit all that money that it would take for either of those two guys or whether they could possibly look and, and wait a summer and, and strengthen another position that they might need more 
pressingly. That's a sort of debate that I think we'll find out in the weeks to come. One of the United Beach stand writers described Cavani as a cross between an Italian underwear model and an Easter Island statue, which I absolutely loved. <laughs> as you said, he told United he wanted to leave. He told Ed Woodward in United's Mayfair office, there was only those two there, and he said he wanted to leave. And you've got to credit Ollie for helping him change his mind. You mentioned the kit men. These are just Manchester lads who happen to be United fans as well. And they get a sense of what United fans are talking about on the street. And that helps because you've got no fans to relay the messages to players. And you're right about the positive for social media. But sometimes when the players get fan interaction on social media, it's cranks. You know, it's absolute nutters. But I think in the Cavani case... Of a, a, a song that started out as a joke, the gimme, gimme, gimme one by Bashy, and he was just blacking. He was he was just casting a, a fishing rod into the cesspit of Twitter, like he'd done with uh, Lindelof's song, where he deliberately got his name wrong and sang Johnny Lindelof to Europe's final countdown. He did this really <laughs> camp version of give it, give it, give it to Eddie Cavani and it took off, which I think is fantastic. And I'm, yeah. I'm really pleased that he's staying because it hasn't been the year to judge Manchester United, to judge Manchester, to judge living in England. He loves the outdoors. He'll be able to go outdoors now. He's got to be fair to, to England and to United as well. And I think, obviously, he'd be far better remunerated than if he'd gone back to South America. And I think it would have been a waste for him to go back. You know, if you look at his old strike partner, Diego Forlan, he went back at a later stage in his career. He went to play for his boyhood team, Peñarol. But the standard between the Uruguayan League or even the Argentinian League and the Premier League, it's a big, big drop-off. So I'm glad he's staying. He's become really important in the last few months and it's still it's really recent that this has happened I can remember talking two months ago only two months ago saying it's, he's looking unfortunately more like a foul cow signing in that he's not played enough and he's got like six different reasons why he's missed matches but I was delighted when he signed you know we spoke about him consistently on this on this pod and United did stall on him so that's a good point because if he would have been able to play in those early defeats, they wouldn't have been defeats. They would have all been emphatic victories and United would be league champions. <laughs> he's, a, he's, he's a hero. He's a head. Look at him. It almost adds to his appeal that he doesn't speak any English. You can see that he's he's getting that cult hero status. People are just are buzzing for him. And I can see people arguing now going, I don't think he's that good looking. And people go, no, he's not. He's like... (laughs) When you were saying that, Andy, the thing I was thinking of was that, and me and Carl, I think we texted about it, that bit in Rome when he races over to defend Greenwood. And it's that it's that kind of stuff that makes people cult heroes. It's that sort of extra bit, and you can and and the, the pat on the head as as Greenwood's coming off at Villa Park as he's replacing him. You, you can sort of see. Listen, they don't speak the same language, but they obviously have a good communication in a football sense. And for him to stick around for another season 
you know, even if he doesn't necessarily play all the games, you know, you can see the the value in that for, for Mason Greenwood because Mason Greenwood started up front against Leicester and that was probably his best performance as centre forward for United. You could see the, the runs he was making. He took responsibility, clearly he scored a fabulous goal, you know, so that that is a really important aspect to this this whole thing, I think. And Ollie's saying that Greenwood's only 19, but playing like a, a mature professional. There was a time earlier on in the, in the season when the coaches felt that the younger strikers were not paying enough attention to Cavani and they needed to pay more attention to him. And they feel that he has done, n- not just in terms of his, his runs, but his professionalism, the way he handles himself, what he eats, the way he turns up and... Fans need heroes. They want heroes. They want to fall in love. They're predisposed to fall in love with with a player. And if that player's a little bit different, it goes back to Cantona. Because he was French and he was a bit different and he looked a bit different, it all added to the allure of him. And I think there's a bit of that with with Cavani. South American players have not always been a success at, at Manchester United. Forlan became a cult hero without with, by, by failing, really, at United. You know, he, he, he wasn't a big success, but he scored a few key goals. Um, a, a striker did say to me the other day, is Cavani mobile enough to play up front for Manchester United in in big matches? And that's someone who knows far more about playing up front in big matches than I do. If you look at that Manchester City away game, when that press came from the front and Martial was very good, then could Cavani have played in that game and done as well? Probably not, but he offers something different. He just does. And when he makes those runs and when he scores those headers and the celebrations he did, and you're right about sticking up for Greenwood in, in Rome and running over to the corner, all that needed there was 4,000 away fans in Olympico, semi-final of a European competition. You can just see people are falling for him and it would have been such a shame if he would have walked away from, from all of that. It would. I truly am surprised by how good he's become, how quickly. Uh, I, I really thought he'd be playing maybe 20 games a season and alternating minutes with Anthony Martial when he first signed. And then I think by December, he was far and away the best attacking option for United. So long may it continue. Now, let's look ahead to some further games for Manchester United, starting with Liverpool. Now, I understand, Laurie, you will be going to Old Trafford in the stadium, but we're also going to send another reporter possibly outside to see what might occur. Uh, is it fair reason to expect any possible protests on Thursday? Well, it seems that that is, you know, that's the game that's being targeted. I think there's a bit of secrecy over exactly what might happen. You know, Old Trafford against Leicester was reinforced, it has to be said. So we go in via the Munich Tunnel, which is where the fans climbed over and then managed to open up the, the exit gate and, and get in, in the first wave of, of invaders. And that was very much reinforced. There was police handlers with police dogs. And, um, you know, obviously they've got the the barriers that they've now built. I've seen criticism for United over that, given what Joel Glazer has, you know, said in terms of building bridges and, you know, a wall isn't exactly a bridge. I think they had to do something just because, you know, they, they, have, they have to be certainly seen to be doing something. It was, I suppose, in a, in a small way, slightly amusing that last night there was so much police presence and there was literally never, ever going to be something popping off. But again, I think United, they've obviously been exposed for getting a game called off. They are going to take a, a ball and braces approach um, in future now to make sure that they don't have another game postponed because the Premier League gave them a final warning after that Bournemouth game was was postponed for the bomb scare, you know, a few years ago. A points deduction is a part of a conversation, you know, in 
in the club that they've not dismissed that. You know, it's not like a, a figment of the imagination. Listen, it might not happen. I mean, I'm sure it won't happen, particularly if the games all go ahead. Fine. They have to have some caution about it. The feeling amongst fans is still very strong, you know, against the Glazers, triggered by the Super League. A small footnote on that that I found slightly amusing in the Liverpool context is that Liverpool, one of the main protagonists of the Super League, without that, there wouldn't have been a protest that get, got the game called off against you know Liverpool and United. And without that, you know, United wouldn't have made so many changes against Leicester in this defeat. You know, it's, maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself there and, and joining too many dots, but I thought that was a, a slightly amusing uh, sort of side note. Andy, what do you think in terms of what might happen with protests because clearly the the strength of feeling won't just go away you know it was very organised for the first Liverpool game and it seems that it's going to be a similar kind of situation for the rearranged fixture there will be protests I know I know people who are going there I don't think you'll see the same numbers that you saw against Liverpool on the Sunday several reasons for that it's on a Thursday night there was an aspect to that original one where people wanted to show the strength of feeling they also wanted to see the friends. They'd not seen the friends from the match uh, since uh, the lockdown. Uh, there's still a significant number of people who would like to see the Glazers removed. Uh, that is their, their main aim, and you can understand the reasons why. And we've discussed those reasons in depth uh, on here. I feel that the the letter which Joe Glazer sent last week was encouraging. Action will speak louder than words with that one. Uh, it's been some time coming and I've written more about the redevelopment of Old Trafford than any other journalist. And there were times when I was writing stuff on that five, six, seven years ago and people were laughing at me. People within the club like, what's the issue here? And I'm a geek for stadiums. I travel to stadiums all around the world all of the time. I know my stuff on them. And I know who was getting ahead and who was falling behind. And I was writing those articles from the heart. And I remember one of the journalists saying to me, what's the issue here, Andy? I only ever see the press box. Is it really crumbling? And I said, well, crumbling is too strong a word, but the, the paint is peeling on the girders. Now, to be fair to United, they've freshened and spruced it up in lockdown. That, and I actually do quite like that shade of red that they've used with all the paintwork. But maybe this was only happening because of fan pressure. Maybe now there's serious talk of development because of fan pressure. And because of that protest against Liverpool, I think some good can come from this. And if Manchester United fans are allowed to buy shares with proper voting power, then that would absolutely be encouraging. I think you've got to credit most and the people on the fans forum who went to the club, delivered a really strong letter, read it out, to ashen-faced attendees, including Ed Woodward, at the Fans Forum a couple of weeks ago, and it showed the strength of feeling. There's been a lot of unity among United fans. It's been less fractious. And when that announcement of the Super League came out, it just opened up a can of worms. It's been a long, long time coming. The roots of this protest go back to 2005, and it's not just going to disappear. The lack of communication from Joel Glazer has been shocking. Not from the club. There's been a lot of really good people at the club working hard to communicate. United have done really well in, in lockdown. Loads of good initiatives. Fans have been helped out. The idea of uh, fans being supported going to Gdansk, that's not just a new gimmick. This has been pretty consistent over the last couple of years. 
with support in Kazakhstan, refunds for LASK, ticket prices have been encouraging. But the headline is the, the, the form of ownership at the club, the amount of money going out to service the debt. And as I said last week, I think it's £1.7 billion that could have gone back into, into Manchester United. So there will be um, further protest. I think fans are quite right to keep the plans to themselves. The mood can switch very quickly between condone and condemn. Um, I think if you were seen as a face of the protest, suddenly you'll be cornered if anything goes wrong. And things did go wrong in that first protest. You know, The image of a policeman with a big cut on his face, that shouldn't have happened. The lad picking up a piece of camera kit and throwing throwing a can at one of my mates who's a journalist. That's well out of order. But the fans who, who protested and did so in a peaceful way were absolutely within the rights to do that. And they're not just going to walk away. It says a lot that Manchester United about to play Liverpool at Old Trafford again, possibly. Uh, and the on-field action has taken a back seat. Uh, quick word, Laurie, from you. What could we possibly expect on the field on Thursday? I think it'll be a return to the strongest 11 he can pick. Um, I guess the centre-back partnership will be an interesting one. Baye and, and Lindelof probably. But yeah, the rest of the team will be as expected, I imagine. I suppose the Leicester game did provide us with a real nice glimpse of Ahmad for the first time, first Premier League minutes for him. And we saw him against AC Milan with a really smart header. But I think this was a game that showed off his intelligence um, in terms of movement. You, you mentioned earlier the relationship between him and Greenwood and the, the way that they managed to move into different spaces for each other. His touch was obviously excellent. There was one moment in the second half when he kind of invited Jamie Vardy to come and try and tackle him sort of by the touchline, sort of slowed things down and then suddenly quickened up and dragged the ball with a really nice bit of technique away. And obviously his, his assist for, for Greenwood showed, you know, strength with Luke Thomas. You know, he's, he's only tiny. I mean, you look at him in the flesh and you, you, you're wondering, is he even 18? He looks so, so small, but he does have a robustness about him. He managed to keep the ball against Luke Thomas and then pick the pass. So yeah, I thought that was encouraging. And I wonder if, you know, we might... I don't think, I think Liverpool's probably, uh, you know, a, a big game that it would be a rare set of situation to to, uh, to see him come on. But Fulham and Wolves, I wonder if he'll get more minutes there, you know, with a view to, you know, potentially would, would he be necessary for the Europa League final? But um, I mean, I suppose that's another point with Ahmad, you know, this, this deal that could be worth 37 million. I, I will say, 37 million I get sort of a little bit of criticism from subscribers for saying it's it's you know it's potentially 37 million but the information is that it will probably be realized and also it, I would argue that United needed needed to commit to 37 million pounds to get the deal done so I think it's a fair thing to describe it as a 37 million pound deal <laughs> but that's that was a deal that was done again end of the window with a player with a view to future glory you know this season has been a development one for him absolutely fair enough but that it can't be this case again where United go and spend that kind of level of money on a player that's one for the future because if you really want to bridge the gap to City it needs to be players that are ready made so and, and we'll see that against Liverpool you know we'll see where United really are I am intrigued because at Anfield they I thought were the better team Pogba had a really good chance Bruno had a really good chance could have nicked that game 1-0 admittedly a few teams then went to Anfield and won <laughs> so maybe the draw doesn't look so great in reflection this is a really good barometer of where United are at particularly with you know regards to Liverpool yeah we'll see a full strength side you know Pogba will return Scott McTominay Fred I'm sure obviously Bruno from the start Cavani from the start you know so it'll be a, a proper 
a proper side, you know, and I think it'll be an exciting game. I do remember doing a bit of research on Ahmad at the start of the season when the deal was made through. Uh, and someone expressed to me that they thought he was a stud, uh, but they were surprised that United were spending that much money that early on in his development. They went, oh, okay. I mean, he will be a £37 million player eventually, but United doing that this early meant they clearly wanted to nab him before a Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal, Manchester City, or indeed a Liverpool could buy him. And they want to get your thoughts, not just on this Liverpool game tactically, but also what you think might happen on the 26th of May in Poland. Uh, Pogba on the left? Yeah, he's done well there. So I'd suspect that he would be playing there. Um, I've not done my uh, scouting on Villarreal yet. I've watched him a few times this season. There was a time where I was going down there regularly to interview players. I've not been there for three years. I'm probably going to go to Villarreal next week, looking at setting up some interviews, hopefully for the Athletic. And... They're a good team. When I said earlier on in the podcast about that they're highly motivated, of, of course they are, but Unai Emery, who is, um, maybe pick my word right here, he has a fractious relationship with the media and he's especially keen to um, prove Brit- British and English people wrong after his spell at Arsenal. I remember going to Valencia in 2011 to interview Pablo Hernandez, who ended up at Leeds, and I didn't realise, because I was an outsider, I walked into a civil war between the press and Unai Emery and I asked him an innocent question and he just scowled at me. And I'm thinking, like, what are you doing? I'm just asking you a, a nice question here. You know what I mean? Just because you've got the ump with that paper and that paper and that paper, I have nothing to do with that. Anyway, I might go and see him next week. <laughs> <laughs> I think Gdansk looks absolutely beautiful. United will be favourites. United have got technically superior players. Villarreal got a very good youth system, exceptionally well-run club. They do have the benefactor, Fernando Rodge, and his ceramics fortunes, but they spend the money wisely. Um, The fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth each season in Spain, got a lovely stadium. Uh, I think you're going to compare it to 2017 when Jose Mourinho did his best tactical number on Ajax in Sweden and United will be scout. Well, I know they are. United are scouting Villarreal heavily. They've been watching them really closely all season anyway, because United have been watching one of their players. So there could be far worse opponents than, than, than Villarreal, but I'll get more depth for you in the forthcoming uh, podcast. But I know that Paul Pogba is happier playing in the more advanced role. I said months ago, He's happier playing there. I said months ago that he's um, he's absolutely predisposed to stay at Manchester United. And then some journalists in Italy said he wants to move. And I'm just thinking, well, maybe they're right and I'm wrong, but I stand by what I said uh, months ago. And strong United team. Let's get Ollie's first trophy in the bag. It's a really big deal for, for Ollie to win a, a trophy, I think. In a past life, I used to work at the Players' Tribune and I used to work with quite a few people from Barcelona, uh, to which when I was trying to learn Spanish, they said, your Spanish is okay. At, you know, In terms of accent, your grammar makes you sound like a 12-year-old. And I went, oh, okay. And it goes, a really good example of this is Unai Emery, who apparently speaking in Spanish is a very clever, erudite, intelligent man about tactics. But when he speaks in English, well, good evening, good evening. is unfortunately... The the, uh, the mockery that the English press made of him, but apparently a fantastic interview in his native Spanish language. 
he's a he's a very interesting and very intelligent man, and I think some of the mockery is unfair from people who can't say more than a few words in a foreign language. And I could understand what he said when he was Arsenal manager and some of his mispronunciations were there. Look, when I speak in Spanish, I don't sound like I'm from Madrid. You know what I mean? But I can communicate and and get myself known and I can understand and I can listen to it. And it's difficult to do that. Even within Spain, the different accents, Andalusian Spanish is very different to the, the Spain you would hear, Spanish you'd hear in, in, in Catalonia. So I, I wasn't really into... That, that bullying of Emery, he's been a very successful coach. He speaks French, he speaks Spanish. I'm not, he's from the Basque country. I'm not sure if he speaks Basque. I, I, I doubt know he it. speaks Russian as well. He's a bright man and, he, and he's been very, very successful as a football manager. And just, just because he pronounced good evening wrong, nah, I'm not buying that. And some of the English players who went to Spain, they were shambolic in the amount of Spanish that they learned. Some of them were good. Gary Lineker, Jonathan Woodgate. Really good. But some of the others, nah. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get into some reader questions. Oh, I say reader questions every week. Listener questions. I always forget the format. Hopefully they read as well. I hope Hopefully so. they read. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put in a little bit about the special offer right at the end. We've got one from Daphne at Nymira on Twitter who says, a season and a half later, what is the biggest opinion change on Onigola Solskjaer's management uh, and what remains to be seen? You could go with that if you want, Carl. Okay. I, as a man of tactics and X's and O's, I will say that I now understand what Onigola Solskjaer wants to do. Uh, I'd say for the majority of the, the start of the season, I was very confused. I think there was a part when I tried to work out Solskjaer's defence and I had to go lie down because it didn't make much sense to me now, where now I can watch a Manchester United game and I go, okay, that's the out ball, that's the plan, there's the rotations, that's what he wants to do. Uh, and I can almost guess to the minute when he wants to bring on the Manu Matic, which I think is quite fun. Uh, Solskjaer is, I've described him as a business casual football manager so where you have managers such as Pep Guardiola or Thomas Tuchel who when they turn up at a football club you know immediately what they want to do Solskjaer has been quite interesting in that everything has had to come to the boil and I think if you give him enough backing give him the the pieces that he clearly wants to get then the style of football that Manchester United could play in the future very much could win Premier Leagues and possibly Champions Leagues in the future uh, I'm on board shall we say what do you think Laurie? Yeah, I, I was, I was, uh, I suppose, willing it on because I think if you've got a guy, it's the romantic, I suppose, in me, in the modern world of football that is obviously very much uh, higher and fire him. Um, you know, the industry, as Gareth Southgate has said, isn't necessarily the most attractive to have a guy there that has played for the club and clearly cares for the club. If he can do it, 
great. Let's give him a chance. And I think I agree with you. I think his style's come on. I think he's become much more confident in his role, speaking publicly. I think that's come from the results. You know, I think he's growing in that in that role. So yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride and hopefully the summer goes the way he wants. And that you've spoken to social more than either of us. What are you making of his management now two and a half seasons? Nearly three seasons of uh, Solskjaer in charge. I think he's doing a good job. And I spoke to one person who, who works with him on the inside, who's worked at several top football clubs. And he said Solskjaer is more tactically astute than any of the other managers that I've worked with. So this idea that he's, he's a novice, I think he's unfounded. He's had some very significant wins against top, top managers. He can more than hold his own. I just think he needs to be back this summer to bring in a couple more top quality players because I think he's probably got the most out of this squad that he could have done. I don't yeah. think he could be, a, you know, City are better than United. They showed that really clearly, I felt, at Old Trafford in that Carabao Cup game in, in January. And he can pull out the wins, but even when United played in the game at the Etihad, United knew, and Solskjaer knew, and he'd say this privately, that they needed to ride the luck because they knew City were going to break the lines. They knew City were going to break the press. They knew that um, City had top quality players who were going to create chances. And United did ride the luck, but can't really be riding your luck on a consistent basis. There's always an element of luck. But I think we all know that United are still some way behind City in terms of the talent, the size of the squad. I mean, what United have got to do now is, is, is build on this, and I think Liverpool's been a big surprise this year, how much they faded. That, that wasn't a, a given at all. Uh, but no, I, I absolutely think he deserves a, a contract extension. I think he's a good person. I don't think he's snide. I think as a journalist, he's decent to deal with. I think off the record, he can absolutely hold his own. There's a bit more of a lad there than people tend to see. Because, the, 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 yeah, I mean, you're nodding because there is. He, he's, um, he's genuinely funny. I've... Yeah. I laugh pretty much every other press conference he gives. Yeah, and, and he's got to, when he does press conferences, the, the difficulty is you're speaking to such a wide demographic that you've got to do a catch-all almost, and everything you say is going to be picked upon and twisted and taken out of context. So you end up saying almost nothing because you've got to protect yourself. But I've heard him use uh, industrial language on several uh, occasions. And look, if I thought it was a knob, I wouldn't be saying this. You know, I, I'd be saying that he's not right for the job, but he does need a trophy and he does need the second place uh, finish and he does need to be backed um, because I think he's got a good eye for players. It certainly seems so. One further question from Matt B at Matt B 303 two on Twitter who asks one question that is largely inspired by the City game which is what can Manchester United do to improve conceding at set pieces most of the goals we seem to concede seem to be from corners and free kicks I did write an article on why United get punished on set pieces and what I found is this season they have basically two bands of defence so they very much rely on getting to the near post which tends to be one of Marcus Rashford Alex Talese sometimes Bruno Fernandes. And if those men can get first contact to the ball, as Solskjaer says, then United tend to be fine. But if the ball gets over the near post, then it falls to this man-marking unit, which tends to be a defender such as Victor Lindelof, Harry Maguire, who's the middleman, who's very, very important. And then uh, a defensive midfielder who tends to pick up the rear. It's either Scott McTominay or Nemanja Matic. What you find is, for a lot of the goals that are conceded from set pieces, 
it happens from the gentleman at the back of the man marking unit rushing forward to get ahead of Harry Maguire and then get headed goal. So they run from back post in. Obviously with Maguire out against Leicester, what you had was the man in the middle of the man marking unit, who was Marcus Rashford on Tuesday. He lost his man and unfortunately uh, Soyuncu got the header. The question of how you get better on set pieces is you don't have a system that is so reliant on getting first contact to the ball in the near post. You basically try and have a more evolved system. I think this is one of the really interesting things about Solskjaer in that he puts in quite a few systems that are good enough for a COVID-affected season where you don't have too much time on the training ground and then you hope with a proper preseason and then a proper season to come, he can develop more robust systems. Uh, what do you gentlemen think of that? This is a question that somebody who knows football pinged me last night after the corner. United need to get better at, at corners, set pieces. Um, so I did the obvious and just asked Opta what is the what are the stats and they conceded eight goals from corners, which um, Leeds have conceded more, 11 this season in the Premier League, but United's percentage of goals conceded, that's the highest in the league. So 21% of their goals have come from corners that they've conceded. Um, similar uh, they, they also lead the way in terms of all set pieces. So 12 from, from all set pieces, 31% of their goals. The next uh, leads on 28% of, of their goals conceded. So clearly it's an Achilles heel for United. Yeah, I mean, the zonal thing, the element of that, could could he switch it to man marking? Um, that, that's one option. I did ask Solskjaer after the game about the changes that he made. You know, clearly he made a couple of changes at that corner. From looking at it, it looked like he was going to pause it and then Leicester made their change. Jane Madison came on. I think he thought, right, I'll just, I'll, I'll do the substitution now. I've got Cavani, Rashford, they're both tall guys. You know, Cavani's a good header of the ball, particularly in defence. We've seen that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Varpo said is that he's managed to do. So I don't I don't mind that, but he did accept. He said, you know, obviously that's the, the golden rule. Don't make changes at a, a set piece. And he, uh, and he did. So listen, he accepted that. But yeah, it is an area that I think they do need to improve on. I think that's it from Talk of the Devils. Just have enough time to tell you, you can subscribe to The Athletic for the special price of three ninety nine a month for the next six months. That's 40% off the price of a full subscription. It's The Athletic. It's amazing Manchester United reads. It's going to be amazing reads throughout all of Euro 2020. So all you need to do is go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. Other than that, we're all done for Talk of the Devils this week. We'll be back sometime next week, probably after the Fulham game. Thank you very much for joining me, Laurie. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Andy. Thanks for listening, guys. And thank you very much, Andy. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Laurie. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Talk of the Levels, a Manchester United podcast brought to you from The Athletic. We'll see you sometime next week. The Athletic.